Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jim Daduchu. And I'm doing something a little bit different this time around. Now, just in case you don't know, Condensed Histories, what we do is we condense pieces of pop culture and show how either obviously and deliberately they have history lurking underneath the surface or sometimes it's all there subconsciously. But this time around, it's very much deliberate. And actually, I'm going to be looking at multiple examples of pop culture. And the weird thing is, I'm, I'm going to do it the, the other way round this time round. Rather than just saying, here is one piece of pop culture and we're going to spin it off into all these different bits of history or this very specific bit of history. This time round, I'm going to do a very specific bit of history and show you how there's some really unusual things that link in with it. I'm going to talk to you about what is known in the West as the Vietnam War. And I'm then going to say, actually, there's a lot of pop culture that you don't realize is about the Vietnam War, and you haven't even recognized that analogy. Some are a bit more obvious than others, but we're going to have an interesting journey here. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to start off with why the Vietnam War actually happened. And to do that, you've got to go back to the empire building in Europe of the 1800s. The British Empire at present covers a quarter of the globe, while the German Empire consists of a small sausage factory in Tanganyika. <laughs> I hardly think that we can be entirely absolved from blame on the imperialistic front. Because you've got this area called Vietnam, which got attacked and colonized and turned into part of the French Empire. And for a time, you have Vietnam and parts of its neighboring countries as well, like Laos and Cambodia, turned into French Indochina. And the thing about this is, if you ever look at specifically Vietnam on a map, it is very long with loads and loads of inlets. And then when you go into the country, the, sort of the mainland part of it, you'll see that it is very hilly and mountainous with lots and lots of dense jungle. This is important because what happened was that when it came to grabbing major urban centers, the French didn't have much of a problem with that. The capital city of Saigon to the south of the peninsula that Vietnam's on 
that was actually very easy to capture and hold. But even though pretty much most of the fighting was done by the end of the 1800s, there were still rebel groups that were able to sort of smuggle in things through all these little deltas and inlets along the incredibly long coastline that the French Navy couldn't possibly be patrolling completely all the time. And where do we actually find these people? They're going to be hiding in little jungle alcoves in the middle of nowhere, in surrounded by mountains. They were almost impossible to get to. By the time you got there, they saw you come in and could just sneak off into the denser, thicker jungle. If this sounds familiar, yeah, even in the age of high technology, that was still a problem for the Americans who had helicopters and aircraft and radios and things like that. So imagine how difficult it would have been firing single shot muskets in something like 1860 for the French. So with that in mind, you can see how it was never quite fully put under the thumb or boot of the French. And to be clear, when the rebels decided to fight back, they did so in the classic guerrilla style by being as brutal as possible. They would sometimes cut off the heads of French patrolmen or colonial patrolmen that they found and managed to ambush and would basically stack up the bodies so that they were holding their heads in their hands. Pretty gross and disgusting. They did worse things as well. Not going to talk about that in this podcast. The other thing they learned is doing things like booby traps as well. It was very easy, very low tech to dig a pit, get some bamboo, slice off the end of the bamboo. It becomes instantly very, very sharp. Put it in the bottom of a pit, put some leaves over that pit, and then somebody walks over it that's going to be a very nasty end for them. More on that stuff a bit later. Sorry, everybody. So basically, the French were having a torrid time in French Indochina, and then World War II happened. That no such undertaking has been received, and that consequently, this country is at war with Germany. And obviously, France got invaded. So if you like, France originally was against the Axis powers, but eventually became, particularly under Vichy, became part of the Axis powers. And certain parts of the French colonies decided to fight on, and many of them decided to follow the central authorities and just sort of capitulate. There's a famous point where the French Navy in North Africa was approached by the Royal Navy after the defeat of France and basically told, can you give us your ships? Because otherwise the Germans are going to want them and the French refused and there was a brief firefight between the Royal Navy and the French Navy and Churchill, I always loved the line when he heard the report and, and eventually, basically, it all came to a, an amicable solution kind of after some brief shooting. Churchill said, now they fight as if they hadn't done enough fighting during the summer of 1940. Harsh on the French, but he had a point. <laughs> that's, that's all I'll say on that. So the point is that the Japanese as the allies to the Germans, the Japanese were much closer to French Indochina. So the Japanese took over the running of French Indochina. This kind of made sense from an Axis perspective. So what happened? Well, once America got involved in World War II. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. They started sending in 
basically special forces. The group that would eventually, after the war, become known as CIA, but they weren't called the CIA during World War II, and they trained these fighters to become even more proficient in guerrilla fighting. Simple things like a revolver has six bullets, so you wait for the officer to fire six bullets and then you can charge at them with a bayonet because it's going to take them time to reload and they're out of ammo. And this was remembered by the Americans, for example, who would quite often have the Browning 1911, which was a semi-automatic handgun which had eight bullets in it. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? So they would fire off six pretty quickly, knowing that the Vietnamese would come out and then fire their last two shots with deadly accuracy. Just a little example there of the Americans recognizing that they'd actually trained the enemy. But before we get there, after World War II, where basically the thing about the Vietnamese freedom fighters is they just wanted their country back. They didn't really worry so much about the politics, they just didn't want another country running theirs, which I think we can all agree is a good thing. What was interesting is that Ho Chi Minh, the man who had become the symbol of Vietnamese resistance, was supported, backed, trained by America. And after the war, the Americans had arguments with both the French and British saying, look, if we're fighting for people's freedom against the Nazis, why are we giving people's countries back to your empires. It's not a bad point. But saying that, though, America happily took back the Philippines, and that's basically a little bit of an empire there. The Republic will be reorganized into the first galactic empire. Philippines weren't owned by the Americans. And indeed, the Americans were basically running Japan after the war, too. However, let's not get too muddy in that area. Let's not get bogged down with who did what to who. But the French came back in the late 1940s to French Indochina. I'm deliberately using the imperial name at the moment, and it led to a war. It led to a culmination at this place called Dien Bien Phu, where basically the French had everything. They had this airstrip, they had loads of tanks and artillery, and the French were very confident that if they had this obvious target, it would draw in all the Vietnamese forces and they would have a final battle. However, it was surrounded on three sides by hills with dense jungle on it, which they assumed that the guerrillas would be incapable to bring heavy artillery onto those hills to rain down various shells onto this airstrip, making it unserviceable and also attacking all these bases from an elevated position. And that's exactly what happened. The French had learned absolutely nothing from World War II and just completely underestimated the Vietnamese. And so you get this humiliating defeat of the French in the 1950s. And it was America that was still seen as the good guys at this point that actually brokered the peace treaty between the French and the Vietnamese freedom fighters led by Ho Chi Minh. Indeed, when Ho Chi Minh declared his speech of victory, he actually used parts of the American independence quotes from 1776. So it just shows you how in his mind, how interconnected his struggle for freedom was with America's struggle for freedom and how America were clearly the good guys, in inverted commas. But by now, Ho Chi Minh was flirting with communism. And by the 1950s, this was kind of unacceptable to America. But what America never realized is that Ho Chi Minh was a nationalist 
he wanted to protect his country before he was ever actually a socialist. But as there sort of continued to be violence there, Vietnam was cut in half like Korea, which also had a war in the 1950s. The North in both countries were communist. The South in both countries were actually dictatorships, but at least they weren't communist in the eyes of America. And so we start getting violence between North Vietnam and South Vietnam, which slowly draws the Americans in because they're worried about this spread of communism. It's worth remembering that, you know, throughout World War II, you have the Soviet Union spreading even further westwards so that you then get places like East Germany, which is now a communist satellite. You get places like Hungary that get taken over by communism and Soviet Union and, and basically has puppet regimes installed. Poland, that was never part of the Soviet Union, becomes suddenly part of this communist empire. And then in 1949, China falls to Mao, and that becomes communist. So when people mock the domino theory, saying, oh, just because these places fell, it doesn't mean the next place is going to fall, I'm going to say you're using history the wrong way round. Because if you were looking at the world in 1960 and going, hmm, let's have a look. Poland's fallen to communism. Eastern Germany's fallen to communism. You've got China that's fallen to communism. You've got North Korea that's communist. You've got North Vietnam that's communist. It's looking, you know, domino theory actually happened. Now, it may not have got all the way to Australia, but when people start saying, oh, well, it was never going to happen, well, it did. All these countries were not communist 100 years earlier, and yet they were then. So, with this fear of the rise of communism, America gets slowly drawn in, bit by bit, into it. And we have, after that, I'm pretty sure you're aware of what happened in the Vietnam War. You've got all these soldiers walking around in jungles trying to find the enemy, just like the French did a hundred years earlier. What was interesting is that there was an attempted communist uprising in a very jungly region called Malaya, which is now Malaysia and Singapore, in the 1950s, which the British did successfully managed to carry out counterinsurgency operations, destroyed the guerrilla bases, and won. So it was possible to actually do it. But America wanted to basically depend on its vastly technical superiority. Something like their B-52s that could carry out carpet bombing, dropping thousands of tons of bombs on the country. More than 600,000 tons of napalm were used alone during the Vietnam War, which is a stupid name for a war in Vietnam if you're Vietnamese, because every war involves your country. So to the Vietnamese, they called it the American War. And in case you don't know what napalm is, it's basically a petroleum jelly that burns on water. So no matter what you do, it's going to burn you. It's a horrifically nasty chemical weapon that just eradicates areas. They also tried to get rid of the jungle by spraying something called Agent Orange, a defoliant that turned basically thousands of women who were infected by this chemical then had birth defects of their children. It was just the nastiest, dirtiest war you could think of. And it was happening in American homes every evening as the news reported. It was the first war that was basically televised and it really seeped into the American consciousness. They would get like weekly updates at the movies about World War II. And let's be clear, far more people died in World War II than in Vietnam. And from an American point of view, more than 400,000 servicemen died in World War II and 55,000 died in Vietnam. 
It's also worth pointing out with the world of COVID that if you add up the entire American casualty rates from World War One, World War Two, and Vietnam, it doesn't quite add up to the amount of deaths from COVID. And all those took years to accumulate. COVID's taken less than a year and a half to do all of that. In fact, COVID is fast approaching the 600,000 mark in America, which would put it aside the single most destructive war in American history, the US Civil War. So yeah, that's, that's where we are by comparison. To give you an idea of how heavily Vietnam was bombed by the Americans, more bombs, more explosives were dropped on Vietnam just Vietnam than the entirety of World War II. They tried to bomb them back to the Stone Age, as the phrase went. Didn't work. So there was an entire generation of Americans who either served in Vietnam, who were drafted, had no option in the matter, went out, spent a year and a half fighting for their lives, got very confused and scared, rarely saw the, the enemy, but could certainly hear them. And unlike something like World War II, Combat operations would be sometimes daily, so these people were traumatized when they came back to America, but because they'd served in Vietnam, they were spat at by students and anti-war protesters and called things like baby killers. These men, servicemen who came back, it was not their fault. They had to go and fight for their country, and they were punished for it by their own country when they came back. It's a sad story for everybody, and of course, from an American point of view, ultimately they lost. A form of peace treaty was created under Richard Nixon's era and American soldiers started getting out of there and by 1973 the all American soldiers were gone and it only took a couple more years before the South fell to the North Vietnamese. By then Ho Chi Minh had actually passed away from old age and the unified Vietnam finally happened again. Pretty much immediately it was then invaded in the north by China because China just wanted to sort of flex its muscles and remind Vietnam that, you know, who the real big boy was. And if you like, there is an important point to be made. There is a myth around the Vietnam War, a little bit like the myth around the American War of Independence, where basically rebels can win. And actually that's not what happened. If you look at the Tet Offensive in the late 1960s, this is the turning point of the Vietnam War. For months, if not over a year, the Americans have been saying, we're grinding them down, we're grinding them down. There have been daily reports of like, okay, three of our guys, three Americans have died, but 150 Vietnamese have died. So we're grinding them down. War of attrition, like World War One. The Vietnamese are incapable of carrying out a major campaign. And then in the Tet Offensive in January 1969, basically they came out and it was anarchy and suddenly all these places were being attacked by these guerrillas and so initially it shocked the american population and it's like oh my god we've been lied to it turns out they were capable of still fighting however the problem from the american military is where are all these people and then when they found them it's like they're well they're here in places like hue and saigon and so because they knew exactly where they were the Viet Cong which is the Vietnamese guerrillas, were crushed and annihilated. And after the late 1960s, they were never an effective fighting force again because guerrillas can't fight in a conventional war against a conventional army. It's exactly what America wanted. But it was seen as a defeat. So it's this weird thing where it was absolutely all the losses that the Americans had taken were recaptured very quickly with very, very cripplingly heavily casualties for the Viet Cong. But it wasn't seen that way in America. At that point, the war was seen as unwinnable back home. 
there's a sort of bit of a bitter irony there and pretty much most of the fighting after this period was done by the NVA the North Vietnamese army they were a regular army supported by Russia and China so you need and just like with the Americans in their war of independence they couldn't have won without the support of the regular army and navy of France generally guerrilla forces can cause problems can be very hard to track down as the Vietnamese have proven for a hundred years but they can't necessarily win the war without some outside help, basically. That is a real fast snapshot of the Vietnam War. If you're enjoying this podcast, please, as always, if you could click subscribe, give a review and spread the love. I'm at Jem Daducci on Twitter. I regularly post out tweets about what the latest one is. Please retweet them, share the love. Or if you've got some questions for me, did you like an episode? Come at me on Twitter, be lovely, or make suggestions, or, hey, Jem, I'd like to make an amendment there or something. Fine. You know, I don't always get it right. You know, I've got notes in front of me, but sometimes I misspeak. I apologize for that. But hopefully I'm getting you interested in some of these things. So pretty much while the Vietnam War was happening, there was an interest from Hollywood to start making movies. There was, of course, the famously awful Green Beret starring John Wayne about Vietnam. It is bad. It is very, very bad. By then, John Wayne is incredibly old. Successful mission, Mike. Yeah, but very costly. And it's real propaganda. The Americans are absolutely the good guys and the Vietnamese are absolutely the bad guys. And it's, it hasn't aged well, says Jem. But there is a whole area of great Vietnam Wars, probably the biggest of all. The one that was almost impossible to film is Apocalypse Now. Hey, fun, son. Nothing else in the world smells like that. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Basically based on the book Heart of Darkness, and indeed there is an essential documentary called The Heart of Darkness about the making of Apocalypse Now, made by Francis Ford Coppola's wife. And I really encourage you to watch that and then watch the movie because you'll realise how incredibly hard it was. They almost had a Vietnam War. Indeed, at the time, Coppola, when he was making it, the whole idea of turning this... The original book, Heart of Darkness, is actually about a man's journey down the Congo. And it was talking about the horrors of the Belgian Congo. And it got updated to the horrors of Vietnam and this journey down the, the Mekong Delta. With that in mind, it's very powerful and it's very much of the time. It was filmed in the 1970s in the Philippines with real helicopter gunships, which occasionally had to fly off and fight real guerrillas in the Philippines because the Filipino army were willing to lease out these helicopters, but sometimes wanted them back again to actually do their job. Bizarre. But this was partly down to George Lucas. George Lucas, during the Vietnam War, wanted to film a movie about the Vietnam War in the war with actors fighting. It, it just absolutely breathtakingly audacious. And that didn't happen. But we will be coming back to George in a minute. But he was the one who actually suggested to Coppola about how they could perhaps repurpose and turn basically Heart of Darkness into a Vietnam analogy. And make, make no mistake. Apocalypse Now is, quite frankly, a, a breathtaking movie. And full disclosure, my uncle is a Vietnam veteran. He reckons that's the best depiction of the insanity that was going on in Vietnam. Although it's not historically accurate, it's got the tone right. You feel like that's the, the mood of what it was like being there as a soldier. Every time I think I'm going to wake up back in the jungle, when I was home after my first tour, it was worse. Then there's, of course, Platoon. 
Then there's Full Metal Jacket, where half of it is about the training, and the second half of it is during the Tet Offensive in this place called Huey, this city that was annihilated during the Tet Offensive, even though before it had been very much left alone. Interestingly filmed in Canary Wharf in London, probably a place furthest away from where you would think of of Vietnam by the late, great Stanley Kubrick. I actually watched that one with my uncle, the Vietnam veteran, and he, I said to him at the end, what do you think? And it is a very sweary film. And he went, there wasn't enough swearing in it. <laughs> Whoa, okay, fair enough. I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be served. Do you maggots understand that? There's also The Deer Hunter, incredibly powerful movie there. There's Born on the Fourth of July, that's the Oliver Stone follow-up to Platoon, where you've got Tom Cruise looking great in a uniform and then showing you the real story of a man who gets paralyzed in Vietnam and that this turns him towards the anti-war protests. I wanted to serve my country. I couldn't wait to fight my first war. You got something surreal, like a cult classic, like Jacob's Ladder, part Vietnam movie, part horror film, and Taxi Driver as well. You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. There are all these films that sort of show the scars of the men coming back, plus also the combat there. Hamburger Hill, perhaps a lesser, lesser known one that shows the depiction of the horrors of war. All amazing movies, but are clearly about the Vietnam War. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But what if I was to tell you, going back to 
George Lucas, that Star Wars A New Hope is about the Vietnam War. Don't believe me? Well, I've told you he was already very interested in, in Vietnam as a subject for wars. But if you think about it for a moment, I've used the word rebels when we was talking about the Vietnamese because Viet Cong isn't particularly a well-known phrase. So what is Star Wars about? Star Wars is about a, a small group of rebels who have to hide from the technologically superior empire. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. The analogy is there. In which case, as one joker said, does that mean Princess Leia is Ho Chi Minh? <laughs> Maybe is my answer to that. But if you're sitting there going, Jam, that's a bit of a stretch. All right, okay, but you could say there's there's overtures towards the Vietnam War, but it becomes very explicit in perhaps the most cuddly version of a Star Wars mo movie, Return of the Jedi, where, think about it for a moment, on the forest moon of Endor, you have these very low-tech Ewoks fighting the very high-tech Empire. We where they carry out hit-and-run tactics, and they use very low-tech knowledge to actually take out these super troopers in armor. Well, let's face it, the stormtroopers were terrible shots, and any any shot seems to bring them down. So that armor is garbage. It's made out of, I don't know, papier-mâché or cardboard or something. But anyway, you get the idea. We are the Definitely, definitely. And don't forget, this is, this is barely 10 years after the Vietnam War. There would have been Vietnam veterans working on that. I mean, maybe as a rigor or something like that. I'm not saying that George Lucas was, was one of those. It is also worth pointing out that there's elements of the Vietnam War in George Lucas's movie before Star Wars, American Graffiti, where basically it's all about the kids sort of like having one last summer and night kind of thing. And, you know, some of them are literally being shipped off to Vietnam. So it, it's there. It, it was prevalent in these filmmakers of the 1980s because they'd grown up with it in the 60s and 70s. So Star Wars is probably the most unusual analogous movie to Vietnam, but it's absolutely there. And if you were to ask George Lucas, did you mean to put it in there? He's going to turn around and say yes, okay? So if you don't believe me, ask the man himself. You know, we're fighting the largest empire in the world. Right. And we're just a bunch of hayseeds in coonskin hats that don't right. know nothing. That's right. And it was the same thing with the Vietnamese. Yep. The irony of that one is in in both of those, the little, the little guys won. Right. And the big highly technical em empire the, the English Empire right? English the Empire, empire. the American Empire yeah. lost yeah that was the whole point next up I did a podcast a few weeks back about zombies and I made a passing reference to how Night of the Living Dead by George A Romero the the first movie in 1968 that was to redefine the whole zombie genre to actually turn them into the undead was basically a metaphor for several different things like the civil rights movement, but also Vietnam. It's a very dense movie shot again on a shoestring budget to say so many different things about American society. Now, why? Why is it an analogy for Vietnam? Well, there's kind of two reasons. First of all, 
there are scenes of it which are done with like footage like newsreel footage which is again going back to what i said earlier exactly how the american audience was consuming the vietnam war as i said this was the first war that was televised not quite live but very regularly every evening news slot would have something on vietnam and you know people would sometimes see flashes of their children's faces on the screen and things like that and you know 68 were at the height of the vietnam war here and you've got basically the whole surroundings of vietnam linked with night of the living dead the second thing about it is the whole shambling zombies. You can take one down, but another one will, will replace them. They're out there lurking in the dark, just like the Viet Cong are out there lurking in the dark. It, it's interesting. I, I mentioned how Apocalypse Now was actually based on something older, The Heart of Darkness. And same thing with Platoon. That also had a literary background. It's basically the Faust story about the heaven and hell. Or in this case, it's a young recruit who basically there's the good sergeant and there's the evil sergeant. And, you know, which one's going to take control of his soul? It's just like Faust doing his deal with the devil. And when you don't, the machine breaks down. And when the machine breaks down, we break down fascinating stuff and this is the thing that why are war movies so popular and to be honest they don't come out all the time but it's absolutely a genre in its own right and i've heard some people say oh it's just a love of violence it really isn't but it's a love of drama because there is no greater drama than life and death and that's exactly what war is and so when you add to that the moral implications and there's no doubt of the murky morality of vietnam that it's it makes the perfect topic for something almost literary and yet also about the the horrors and, and the realities of combat in vietnam so taking that back to night of the living dead why not have something again sort of like being a metaphor for it being an abstract image of this life and death nothing better than a zombie lurking out there it's gonna get you can kill one but there'll be two again and you better get those shots right because they're coming for you just like it would have been in the jungles, except this time it's with zombies. Some people have turned around and sort of criticized that reading, saying, well, are you saying that the Viet Cong were subhuman? It's like, no, that's, that's not what people are going for. But it's just like an elemental force, and that's what it felt like to a lot of Americans who were there in the jungles at the time. I've done Night of the Living Dead. I've done the Star Wars movies, or at least parts of the original trilogy. Now let's move on to perhaps the most obvious one, Predator. There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. Now, full disclosure, I did a whole episode of Predator in my old podcast, Neon. So if you want to listen to that, please go out there and listen to that. I'm not going to rehash all of it, but come on. You basically got a bunch of American soldiers in the jungles and initially what you see the genius of predator it's an incredibly stripped down movie but my goodness it works well and and it isn't mindless as i say you know it's an analogy for the vietnam war but it it's really clever in its structure because pretty much the first thing you see in the in the movie is how good this team of commandos are and you see them attack an enemy base and completely wipe it out now they do it in the most gung-ho ridiculous manner possible <laughs> insert some cool quotes here like i ain't got time to bleed and things like you're, you're hurt you're bleeding ain't got time to bleed i'll shut up you got time to duck 
But the point is this. You see how effective they are. You see how great their technology is. You see how great their training is. These guys are killers, and they will do it again and again. But then they're up against something that can't be seen. Something that actually would rather come in close and fight than necessarily just shoot them from far away. And suddenly this unit becomes hopeless, useless. They're being hunted as they go through the jungle. Absolutely, there's an analogy to Vietnam on that one. And it's made overtly a couple of times. But it is worth pointing out that Mr. Ventura, the wrestler in it, he actually served in Vietnam. Now, he actually said whilst filming it going, it's a lot more fun here because it's actually safer, which is fair, which is fair. But you've got actual Vietnam veterans in that movie, in a jungle, fighting an unseen enemy. Doesn't take much to join the dotted lines on that one, okay? So Predator, if you haven't seen it, or if you've, it's been a long time since you've seen it, I really encourage you to go back and look at it again. It's one of Arnie's stone cold classics. It's one of the great sci-fi movies. Because yeah, technically the Predator is an, an alien and things like that, even though it's set in the basically modern day in a jungle. And then finally we come to another classic from the 80s, sort of, is it sci-fi? Is it a war movie, etc. like Predator? Aliens. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. Oh my goodness, Aliens, what a film. It's a feminist story. It's a story about a woman trying to get back a surrogate daughter. It's about women protecting their offspring, or females, I should say, protecting their offspring with the alien queen versus Ripley. Again, you haven't seen it? Watch it. Double bill. Watch the original Alien, which is a very much a, a haunted house movie set in space. It is terrifying. Please don't watch it in the daytime. It's going to lose its impact. Watch it at nighttime. Watch it with the curtains closed. And I guarantee you'll find it scary. And then watch the follow-up Alien. has got to be the director's cut. Those extra 14 minutes really do change it all for the best. Really great. But that scene. I'm just going to say this one scene. This unspoken scene where the no words pass between Ripley and the alien queen. And I'm just going to say the word eggs. And, oh, just that's just amazing cinema. You know exactly what's going on between the two of them, even though not a word's been said. And just the tilt of the head from Ripley at that point. Oh, oh just, just movie perfection. Plus, of course, there's that great line when she comes out with the loader at the end. I say no more than that. So why, on a different planet, with space marines and jumping around alien-y things and plasma rifles, plasma pulse rifles, I think, is actually the technical phrase, why is this Vietnam? Because, again, you've got the technical superiority against an unseen enemy. You've got the arrogance of the marines. They just don't want to listen to the only person who's actually come in contact with these aliens before. That would be Ripley again, Sigourney Weaver. And they're just not listening. And even their outfits, although they're sort of teched up, they are very reminiscent of the gear that was worn during the Vietnam War. Indeed, there is a point, it's just worth pausing on this, they're wearing camo even though they're going to a rocky planet where there's a base. Surely they should be wearing some kind of urban camouflage, but not the, the greens and tans of a kind of Vietnam sort of camouflage pattern.
So, look, while I could say to you, here's another example of something that's all about Vietnam, but was, wasn't set in Vietnam, MASH, well, it's, it's obviously a pretty good obvious analogy there without being too weird and wonderful. The thing about MASH is there's the great movie directed by Robert Altman, but also there's the TV series. And the thing about the TV series is it ran for about 10 years. The Korean War lasted for three years. So when they talk sort of later on about, oh, the endless horror, it's like, well, you guys should have left five years ago. I don't know what you're doing still here on that one. Look, MASH is a great series. I would recommend you try and find... The MASH episodes where they've taken out the canned laughter really doesn't work, at least to a British audience with the canned laughter. Please don't listen to that one. It diminishes it greatly. And I would say the TV series is better than the movie, which is just a little bit too hip and of its time to have actually translated perfectly. The series is a little bit better in regards to that, in my opinion anyway. But that's something that was also about Vietnam without actually being about Vietnam. So there we go. We've covered Apocalypse Now, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, Deer Hunter, Born on the Fourth of July, Jacob's Ladder, Night of the Living Dead, Star Wars, A New Hope, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, <laughs> Predator and Aliens. It's amazing. Amazing list. I am going to do a quick plug at the end, though. Wait, 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 guys. Please, listen. I've done a book called Echoes, where I've interviewed multiple Vietnam veterans obviously including my uncle and I pulled together some of their experiences and turned it into a novel a historical novel called Echoes and basically it's set actually as it turns out just before Covid it's set in the modern world where you got this guy called Tom and he's a grandfather sort of coming to terms with the death of his wife and also what he did in Vietnam 50 years earlier and you've got a young Tom in Vietnam. It keeps flicking between his actual experiences in Vietnam and genuinely some of those experiences happened for real. And I was talking about those booby traps from earlier. You know, those booby traps were real and the American soldiers came across them as well. Those bamboo pit traps absolutely happened. Only by the time the Americans were there, they tended to smear those stakes with excrement to increase the chance of infection of the wounds. Really nasty stuff. Designed to wound and maim rather than kill because then the unit has to carry back this wounded, injured person, making the whole unit more vulnerable. Incredibly clever, if incredibly brutal tactics. So if this sort of sounds interesting, and basically what happens in the story is Tom decides to go back to Vietnam, to basically go to the scene of his crime, or the scene of his past if you like. Only, for reasons, he goes back with his grand daughter and so part of it's a Vietnam War story but part of it is about this generational thing how people try and explain to the next generation try to pass on their knowledge but they just don't listen and also here's a question for you you love your grandparents they're warm and cuddly and they're there for you but do you really want to know that your granddad killed a man how would that make you feel about them it would change things. So with that in mind, if this sounds interesting, Echoes by Jem Daduchu, also about Vietnam, might want to check it out. Thanks very much for listening. And as always, hopefully speak to you soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.